Praise the Lord, everyone. Good morning. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Aren't you glad that when everything else failed, Jesus didn't fail you? Anybody feel that way today? Amen. God is good. Merry Christmas. We are getting there. It's hard to believe it's December, isn't it? I'm just struggling to figure out where this year went, and, and uh, it's just moving by so quickly. Uh, I will say that my children, uh, they, they make this time of year exciting. And uh, if you're having a hard time being excited about the season, just get around a six-year-old, and it, it, it changes everything. Amen? Praise God. Everybody awake today? All right. Well, I do realize it's December, but we are going to do our very best to finish up the book of Leviticus today. And uh, everyone smile. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I promise I have some Christmas sermons and things of that nature uh, prepared. In fact, next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on innkeepers, and I'm very excited about it. The Lord's been dealing with me. But today, everyone says Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, and we're in part seven, uh, and we're moving as quickly as we can. Our motto for Leviticus and the theme of the book is be holy as I am holy. Can everyone say holy? Holy. And last time we broached this subject, we examined the Day of Atonement. That was chapter 16, and we looked at how the life is in the blood and therefore, atonement is in the blood, and the blood of Jesus is sacred and saving. That was chapter 17. And uh, take us to the next slide. Today, we are still in section 4, which is laws about physical and moral holiness. And it's chapters 17 through 26. All of this uh, section of Leviticus uh, falls under what? theologians and scholars call the Holiness Manifesto. Chapter 17 through 26 all relate to personal and private and corporate holiness. How many want to be holy as he is holy? This entire section. And so we're talking about it today. I'm going to move as quickly as I can because there's two uh, controversial, and uh, you can cringe if you want to, but we are going to tackle two controversial subjects today out of the book of Leviticus, uh, and that is the subject of homosexuality and the subject of tattoos. Both of those subjects are, are first dealt with in the book of Leviticus. In fact, uh, the question of tattoos is only dealt with in the book of Leviticus, and uh, it's the last thing on my agenda today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to move through this first part, and we'll wrap it up with the tattoo question. And, uh, and we'll look at what the Bible has to say about it. But first, we're picking up in chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And all of these fall under the category of forbidden sexual practices. Everyone said forbidden. These things are all forbidden. And we'll read uh, verses 1 through 5 very quickly. And I'll read it to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt. Everyone said Egypt. We're not to act like them where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. And by the way, 
for a New Testament believer. I'm going to say that again. As a New Testament believer, we are not to imitate or be influenced by the world that God delivered us from. God did not deliver you from Egypt so that you could live like Egypt. God delivered you so that you could be holy as he is holy. That is the word of the Lord. And so God is making it very clear. You're not to act like what I delivered you from. And the land that I'm taking you to in Canaan, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. But right now, it is inhabited by wicked people. And if you remember, the Israelites had to do a whole lot of fighting so that they could take the land of Canaan. How many remember there were giants in the land? And, and so God said, the land I'm taking you to, you're not to imitate their way of life either. In fact, you're to purge the land from those things. Verse 4, you must obey all. Everyone said all. See, some people think that says most, but that's not what God said. God said, you must obey all my regulations. We don't like that word, do we? Regulations. We think only the government can give us regulations. Did you know that God's laws are higher than man's laws? There's some people that will pay their taxes, but they don't pay their tithes. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. There's some people that will obey speed limits, but they won't listen to anything the word of God has to say. But God's laws are higher than man's laws. You'll let the boss at the job tell you when to come and when to go, but God can't tell you anything. We need to get rid of that spirit and say, what says the word of the Lord? We want God to have uh, to have the preeminence in our lives. And so he said, obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees for I am the Lord, your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life. Everyone said life. Jesus said it this way. You'll find life and life more abundantly. He came to give us abundant life through them. I am the Lord. Now I'm going to give you a couple quick notes on this passage. Number one, Everything that we're about to read in chapter 18, right after verse 5, everything through the entire chapter, and even into chapter 19, portions of it, and much of chapter 20, they clearly fall under the category of timeless moral laws. Can you say moral law? Now, we've talked about this in the past, and I have to come back to it over and over again, and I'll tell you why. Because many people do away, they completely throw out commands from God in the Old Testament simply because it's in the Old Testament. God has given us his word completely. The entire Bible is for us. Now, we also understand, as we've talked about from Leviticus, that clearly uh, we're allowed to eat pork now. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And so there were some laws that fell under uh, what we've called ceremonial law. There were judicial laws that fell under the theocracy of Judaism or the, uh, or the Old Testament covenant. But then there are timeless moral laws. For example, we're going to look at it in just a minute here. But thou shalt not steal is still for us today. How many understand that? And by the way, even most people who consider themselves Christians, if they throw out the Old Testament, they keep the Ten Commandments. Did you know the Ten Commandments were in the Old Testament? Yes, they were. And they want to keep those, or at least most of them. 
but then they'll throw everything else out. But that's not how the Bible works. The Bible is filled in the Old Testament with timeless moral laws that are still for God's people today. We're not to do away with them just because we're in a New Testament era of grace. Number two, God gives no expiration date to these commands. There was no there was no sense that the commands that we're about to look at here in just a moment have an expiration date or on or are on some kind of timer. No, they're for us today. Number three, we know this because they are not specifically associated with the priesthood. These commands weren't just for the priests. They weren't just judicial law. They weren't just Jewish law. Uh, it wasn't just ceremonial worship, and it wasn't just for a specific culture, time period, or for an era. These were timeless. They were forever. They were connected with God's holiness, and we understand that God is what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change, and God is not a man that he should lie, and so these laws are still for us today. They're directly linked to God's divine holiness, us pleasing God. How many want to please God? These laws are connected to us pleasing God, and also they're connected to the mandate that we are separated from worldly things and from paganism. And by the way, paganism is not just an Old Testament problem. That's a myth that modern Christianity, we think that there's no such thing as paganism, there's no such thing as, as witchcraft, there's no such thing as, as uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, but Jesus made it very clear that in the last days, paganism, witchcraft, false doctrine, deceit, all of those things will be alive and well, and indeed, they are alive and well today. Number five, life, or we could even translate it salvation, everyone said salvation, comes through moral obedience to God's law. Our human morality and our obedience to God's law, our adherence to the righteousness of God, is directly linked to life, abundant life, salvation, and eternal life. How many want to make it to heaven? I want to make it to heaven. Number six, why obey God's laws? God asks the question and he gives the answer, and it's very, very simple. For I am the Lord your God. Can I make it real simple for you? God is God and we're not God. God gets to make the rules. He made the world. He made you. He made everything that you have. He made everything that you own. Everything is his and God gets to make the laws. And I'm glad he does because he loves me more than I love myself. He knows what's best for me. How many here consider yourself to be a child of God? I know when we become adults and we, you know, we, maybe we have some accomplishments, maybe we have some education, uh, maybe we've done some things with our lives. It's easy to forget that we are children of God. And if you remember anything about being a child, it's that as a child, you don't always know what's best for you. Uh, my son still thinks he can jump off the roof of our house and be okay, but I know that he won't be. So I have to tell him, son, you can't climb on top of the house and get some kind of fake wings and jump off and fly like a bird. Because if you do, 
Gravity's going to get a hold of you and you're going to hit the ground and we're going to be in the emergency room. And he doesn't understand because he's just six years old, but someday he'll understand. But even us as adults, sometimes we think we have all the answers, but God knows better than we know. God's ways are higher than our ways and his commands are for our own good because he loves us. How many believe that God loves you today? He first loved you. When, when you were dead in your sin, he loved you. When you were broken and unworthy, he loved you. And he loves you just the same today as he ever did. Now, I'll take you to the next slide. And we're continuing in chapter 18. And we're going to go quickly through uh, the list of forbidden sexual practices. Verses 6 through 19 are laws regarding relatives and incest. God says you're not to marry uh, you know, brothers and sisters and cousins and all of these things are a long list there. You can read that on your own. And uh, everyone said, amen. Number two, God said, leave your neighbor's wife alone. I'm paraphrasing, but you need to leave your neighbor's wife alone. And America needs to get a fresh revelation of that commandment of God. We have way too much, way too much fooling around going on in America. And Hollywood promotes it. Almost everything they do, they promote it. They think it's funny. They think it's cute. But God says, leave your neighbor alone. Stop it. And number three, homosexuality is strictly forbidden. Now, this one is such a controversial subject in our world today that I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture verbatim. It says this. It mentions it again in chapter 20, but this is the first mention. And so the law first mentioned in hermeneutics requires that we look at it closely. God says this, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Everyone said an abomination. That's very, very strong language. Whenever you see the word abomination in the scripture, you need to sit up straight and pay close attention because God is saying this is a very serious sin. This is a grave sin. Now, listen, I know that many of us have the false idea that all sins are the same in God's eyes. All sins are not the same in God's eyes. That would be like saying, can you imagine, can you imagine if someone were to say that a serial killer will be judged in the same way that a petty thief is judged before God? Can you even fathom saying something like that? No, all sins are not the same in God's eyes. And so when God says that something is an abomination, you need to be very, very, very careful. And our culture, of course, is rejecting this. And scholars are doing their best. Even Christians are doing their best to wipe out this, this particular commandment of God. In fact, it's been in the news, the, the popular couple, Chip and Joanne Gaines, they do that home renovation show. They've been under tremendous fire simply because they attend a church that stands on the Bible and says that homosexuality is a sin. That doesn't mean that, they, that, uh, that the church hates homosexuals. Listen, we love everybody at this church. And, uh, and, and listen, if you're being hateful to people, you need to stop it. If you're being mean to people, you need to stop it. I don't care what sin they're engaged in. If you're being ugly to people, you need to stop it. That's not what God wants us to do. Any more than you should be mean to someone who is engaged in any kind of sin. We are called to love people. We're called to forgive people. We're called to lovingly bring people to God. Because you were a sinner once. I said you were a sinner once. 
Aren't you glad that God loved you when you were in your sin? And so we should love people when they're in their sin, just as God does. We don't have a right to hate people. Uh, God doesn't hate people, but he does demand that if we're going to be right with him, if we're going to be saved, and God has given us free will, we have the right to reject God or accept God. And, uh, and so if you reject God, there will be consequences in eternity. And any true man of God must stand up and say, thus saith the word of the Lord. You don't love people if you don't tell people the truth. If you think lying to someone to save their feelings is loving them, you are sadly mistaken. Can you imagine if a doctor looked at someone who was dying of a disease and, and lied to them and said, you're not, if there was a treatment available to them, but he didn't want him to have to deal with the thinking about it? Can you imagine how horrible that doctor would be when there's a cure right there for them? How would, how would it be for Christians knowing that there's a cure, knowing that God can save people, knowing that God can deliver people, knowing that God can fill them with the Holy Ghost, knowing that the precious blood of Jesus can be applied to their life. If we were to withhold saving information from them, how horrible would we have to be? What a tragedy that would be. And so we're required to stand up. And so we need to be very careful. That's why I was... Uh, was making special effort to let you know that these fall under the category of moral law because when God says, and of course the New Testament uh, is very clear on the issue of homosexuality. Number four, bestiality is strictly forbidden. By the way, that's in the very next verse, and I, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this through the podcast and things of that nature, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to tell you that if you want to do away with homosexuality because it's in this passage of Scripture, if you want to say that it's fine now, then the same arguments that you would use to make that fine are the same arguments you would have to use to make bestiality okay. Is anybody doing that? Well, yes, some people are in our culture today. But the church needs to stand up and say, absolutely not. The Word of God says no. It said no then. It says no now. And, it, and we have to stand on it. It's the Word of God. So now God makes a distinction, and I'm going to close out chapter 18, and God closes it out by saying this. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, for the people I am driving out. He's talking about the people who are in the land of Canaan, where he's taking them. These people that I'm going to drive out before you have defiled themselves in all of these ways. So all of these things that we've mentioned, these were happening in the land of Canaan, and they had happened in the land of Egypt. So... Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Homosexuality and, and, uh, and perversion of all kinds are not just modern-day problems. These things were happening all the way back in the Bible days, uh, especially in Egypt and the land of Canaan. These were pagan nations. And so they had defiled themselves in all these ways because the entire land has become defiled. By the way, sexual sin is a defiling sin. Not just to the individual, but it defiles nations. It defiles communities. It's not just something that happens, in, happens to us in a bubble. Uh, it, it affects cultures. It affects families. And it has a defiling effect. Am I in the Bible right now? I'm in the Bible right now. Because the entire land has become defiled. I am punishing the people who live there. 
And by the way, if America doesn't repent and turn back to God, I know we want the blessings of God, but a nation cannot maintain the blessings of God if they continue to shake their fist in the face of God. Now, I'm not talking about us. We're going to be the church. The church is going to be fine. How many are glad you're part of the church? We're going to be okay. I'm talking about America. And by the way, I I want you to be patriotic. I want you to be proud to be an American and all of those things. I certainly am. But I'm going to tell you what. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God first. I am a citizen of heaven before I am a citizen of this world. And if they start burning Bibles in the streets, I'm not going to have to lose my mind because I am a citizen of the kingdom of God first. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm proud to be an American, but I'm proud to be a child of God first. Don't be an American before you're a child of God. Be a child of God, then be an American. Amen? Amen. And so I'm punishing the people who live there. I'll cause the land to vomit them out. You must obey all my decrees and regulations. You must not commit any of these detestable sins. This applies both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. Everyone said Gentiles. And in the New Testament, Gentiles are grafted into the body of, of Christ. All these detestable activities are practiced by the people of the land where I am taking you. And this is how the land has become defiled. So do not defile the land and give it reason to vomit you out as it will vomit out the people who live there now. By the way, I'm, my brain it just takes me to Revelations where uh, God is talking about the Laodiceans who... Uh, he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. And what, what's going to happen? If you're lukewarm, he's going to spew you out of his mouth. There's some connections there. I just want you to think about that on your own time. Verse 29, whoever commits any of these detestable sins will be cut off from the community of Israel. That word defile has a moral connotation. So even Paul talked about in the New Testament how Uh, Sins of the body defile the body. Sexual sins defile the body and the spirit. And we need to be very, very careful as New Testament believers. The Apostle Paul said, does grace abound? That sin may abound? He said, no, God forbid. Are you thankful for the grace of God? Well, the grace of God doesn't give you a license to sin. The grace of God gives you the strength to overcome sin. Someone ought to say praise the Lord right there. All right, now we're going to move into chapter 19. And chapter 19 talks about holiness in personal conduct. Holiness ought to change your character. It ought to change how you treat people. It ought to change how you talk to people. It it shouldn't just... Holiness is more than just shouting on Sunday. Holiness is a whole lot more than just putting your tie on and coming to church on Sunday. Holiness is how you treat people. How you interact with people, how you treat God, how you interact with God, it infects your entire life. Now, chapter 18 is full of the phrase, you shall not. Chapter 19 is full of the phrase, you shall. Meaning the idea of holiness is formulated or articulated by God both negatively and positively. And so for people who say, well, uh, that preacher, sometimes he's too negative, sometimes he's too positive. Well, God... Uh, spoke in that same way. Sometimes he approached it in the negative. Thou shalt not. And sometimes he approached it in the positive. And he said, you shall. And so it's biblical to preach both directions. Sometimes you have to come at it from the negative side and say, we need to stop 
lying. We need to stop gossiping. That's not being harsh. That's being like God. But sometimes you have to approach it from the positive and say, you know what we need to do? We need to love one another. That's preaching in the positive. You know what we need to do? We need to care about one another. You know what we need to do? We need to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. God approaches it both ways, and the church should do that as well. John Oswalt said this. I'm going to lose some of you here, but I'm going to read it anyway. For the one or two of you that might appreciate this, you'll like it. The rationale behind the moral ethics laid out in Leviticus chapters 18 through 20 are not simply a reaction to a lifestyle that happens to not be Hebrew. In other words, he's saying that God wasn't just condemning uh, homosexuality and, and, uh, and certain sexual practices because they weren't Hebrews. Uh, he was doing, God was prohibiting these things because they are activities that grow out of a worldview that is radically opposed to the worldview of the Bible. In other words, they are opposed to the very nature of God, the fact that God is holy. And as a holy God, there are things that he cannot abide. And so, namely, what the pagan lifestyles were adhering to is a life without boundaries. And every Christian needs to understand that God does give us boundaries. He gives us fences. He gives us parameters. And that's a part of being holy. And and of course, when God says you shall be holy, he is speaking directly to us because he wants us to be like him. Why does he want us to be like him? He wants us to be like him so that we can be in relationship with him. Because as a holy God, light can't mix with darkness. Oil can't mix with water. Righteousness can't mix with unrighteousness. Holiness can't mix with unholiness. It's the very nature of God. God's nature, God's truth cannot be mixed with lies and deception. And so God says, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. But I cannot have a relationship with you if you are full of lies, if you're full of unrighteousness, if you're full of deceit. So I'm going to reshape you. In the New Testament, he's going to fill us with his spirit. So that we can be endued with power from on high. So that we can live above sin. So we can have a relationship with him. So the object of God's laws, the object of holiness, all of the moral law, the ceremonial law, and in the New Testament, the object of the gospel and sanctification is so that we can be holy and have a relationship of God. And I'll, I'll end with the... The very first uh, verse 3 from chapter 19, I'm going to mention this quickly and I've got to move fast here, says this, each of you must show great respect for your mother and father and you must always observe my Sabbath days of rest. I am the Lord, your God. So here when he's talking about holiness in personal conduct, God mentions, now it's already been mentioned clearly in the Ten Commandments, in the Decalogue, but clearly we are to have great respect for our parents. How many knows that's in the Bible? It's in the Bible. And I think that when God mentions the Sabbath here, uh, many scholars note that this is, seems like two separate things, but these are two connected things. In other words, for a child, 
Obeying the Sabbath, being faithful to the house of God, being faithful to sacred things and the things of God that is directly connected to respecting your parents. Now, God is assuming here that, uh, that they would have parents who are faithful to the Sabbath, and that is God's ideal. God wants parents to be role models to their children. God wants parents to lead them in the things of God. He wants them to lead them in the ways of holiness and righteousness. And so when a child is showing respect to their parents, they show respect to the sacred things of God. They show respect to the house of God, to the day of the Lord. And and so this is very, very important. And we need to be faithful to our parents and faithful to the house of God. And those things are connected. Everyone said, praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to take you quickly through this list. Uh, Go to the next slide, chapter 19. Holiness and personal conduct. Verse 11, do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely, I am the Lord. Uh, You need to be very careful about making promises, swearing, swearing oaths, making oaths, uh, especially if you are doing it in the name of the Lord and things of that nature. You need to be very, very careful about that. I hear a lot of people who are very flippant. They, they'll say, you know, I, I, I'm making an oath here. I'm making an oath there. And they'll do it uh, sometimes invoking the name of God. You need to be very, very careful about that. Um, and if you, if you were to swear falsely or make a false oath, you bring shame on the name of God. Did you know that as a Christian, as a child of God who lives under the banner of God, and if you're a, if you're a people of the name, how many know we, we know the name of Jesus today? It's the all-powerful name. And when you lie or break a promise as a person of the name, you bring shame to that name. If you claim to love Jesus and, and, and you claim to be a Christian and a child of God, and then you break a promise to someone or you break an oath to someone, it affects the way they view your God. Did you know that? That's an awesome responsibility. And so you need to recognize. So in other words, don't make a promise that you don't intend to keep. Don't sign a contract that you don't intend to keep. And you ought to do everything in your power to keep it. Sometimes we, we don't mean to, but we make promises that we intend to keep, but we can't. But some people give up very, very quickly. And you want to bring honor to the name of God. I want to bring honor to the name of God. I want to honor him. And I want people who know me to see God in me. And when they watch my actions and they see my attitude and how I conduct myself in business, and how I conduct myself financially, and how I conduct myself in, in my comings and my goings, those things all impact how people view God. You know, some people will never listen to your testimony because they're watching your life. And if your life brings dishonor to God, then you really ought to just keep your testimony to yourself because people will not listen to your testimony if you are lying in your private and in your business life, be very, very careful. Verse 13, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. 
Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Now, uh, this is talking uh, about when you've made a covenant. In those days, it was customary to pay someone immediately after the work was completed. And so really the principle here is that you pay people when you tell them you're going to pay them. How many know that's the right thing to do? And uh, verse 14, do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God, I am the Lord. Now I'm gonna just pause here. I'm not gonna be able to get to tattoos today. We'll have to do it next time, but. This one is near and dear to my heart. I had an uncle who was handicapped and uh, some of the most precious people I've known were handicapped people or, or disabled in some way. And it grieves my spirit when Christians mock and make fun of people who are handicapped in some way. It is not godly. We ought to know it instinctively, but the Bible speaks of it. God speaks. God loves the disabled. I believe there's a special place in God's heart. Look at the story of Mephibosheth. He had a place at the king's table. Praise God. And, and when we have an attitude towards people who are disabled, through, especially through no fault of their own, but it, even if it is their fault, the church ought to love people. I said the church ought to love people. We ought to have compassion for people. My God, and uh, it breaks my heart when I, when I hear Christians who make mean-spirited jokes, and I wish I could tell you I'd never seen that, but I, I see it in the church just as much as I do the world, and we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We need to love people who are hurting, love people who are broken, and God connects this to fearing the Lord. Notice he said, uh, don't insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. Listen, when you start treating weaker people than you in a, in a bullying way, you have stirred God's anger. Yes, you have. Mark my words. Number 15, do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. So in other words, in legal matters, uh, we're not to be communists and we're also not to be radical capitalists where we uh, step on the poor. God wants us to be in the middle. We, he wants laws to be fair. We're not to just simply make laws that favor the poor or laws that favor the rich and powerful. We're to be fair to everyone. Someone said everyone. That's the way of God. Verse 16, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. By the way, I'm really disturbed in our culture. You'll see, especially on, on the internet, You'll see all of these videos where someone is getting beat up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Videos where people are just being beaten, uh, robbed, hurt in some way. And there'll be 20 or 30 people with their cell phones out doing like this, watching some poor lady. I just saw one the other day, a poor lady getting beat up on the side of the road, 30 people with their cell phones out. I'm thinking, my Lord, put your cell phone down and go over and help that poor woman. We're in a culture that has become observers. Even when it's happening in real life, right in front of our very eyes, we think we're in a movie because we're so saturated with Hollywood that even when it's happening in real life, we're trying to turn it into a movie. Put your cell phone down and go help someone who's hurting. That's what God tells us to do. You don't want to, when you see the, 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 poor, the poor man on the way, on the road to Jericho, 
You don't want to step by like the priest did. You want to be like the good Samaritan. You want to go and help them. That's what God teaches us to do. Number 17, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. If someone wrongs you, talk to them. If someone hurts you, talk to them. If, if someone has, uh, has done something that has offended you, don't let that offense burn in your heart until you become the sinner. If you let offense burn in your heart long enough, you will become the sinner. And it won't matter who started it. Well, they start. I don't care who started it. You need to be the one to end it. Go confront them. And when the scripture says confront, it doesn't mean go shake your fist in their face. It means go and deal with it. Talk to them. Put it out on the table. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. Let's stand. In a New Testament era, listen, we're the church. We're to love everybody. But Jesus said it this way. If you can't love your brother, how can you love anyone? If the church can't get along, how can we expect anyone to get along? God wants us to love our brother and our sister who are sitting on the pews next to us. They may not talk like you, look like you, walk like you. They may not even enjoy all the same things that you enjoy. But in the end, we all love Jesus. We all, we all believe in the gospel. And we all have common ground. The blood of Jesus makes us family. And so we come together and we ought to love one another. And I think in this Christmas season, sometimes I've noticed in holiday seasons, sometimes we get a little sideways. We don't mean to. But I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to pray, Lord, I want to love everybody. Can we pray that right now? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray you'd give me a love in my heart for my brothers, my sisters, God, my church family. I pray that I'd have no bitterness, no hatred, no malice, God. I pray that I would walk circumspectly. I want to do justly. I want to walk humbly, God. I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor. Thank you for your word. I want to be holy as you are holy in all things. And everyone said in Jesus' name.